Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity to drive your career forward. I'm excited to welcome my guest today, Robert Glazer. He is the founder and CEO of global partner marketing agency Acceleration Partners. He is also the co founder and chairman of Brand Cycle. Robert is a serial entrepreneur with a passion for helping individuals and organizations build their capacity to elevate. And I'm excited to unpack his career journey, wisdom and insights, and a whole lot more. Robert Glazer, welcome to the podcast. Adam, thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's get started here. And I was telling you before we went on the air, you know, I really like to dig in to the early part of someone's career journey because I think there's so much gold in there, the successes, the failures, and, and the life lessons learned there. And you started your career out as a business analyst at Arthur D. Little, which is, I believe, the oldest management consulting company in the world. Right? Like uh, yeah, they, 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 were, they acted they were, like it. But yeah. Right, they were yeah, exchanging so. for billions of gold for their <laughs> one hour of my services is worth four billion gold bullions. Um, no, but seriously, like, how, how did you know early on, like that, that element of consulting, you know, for somebody else was something you wanted to be part of? Or how'd you fall into that? Yeah, I, 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 you know, you don't know what, you know, as you're growing up as a kid, you think like doctor, lawyer, like you don't understand, you know, very firefighter, baseball player, very specific options. I think when, when I, when I got into college and I learned more about management consulting and strategy, like, oh, you, you know, you parachute into these different businesses, you understand them, you solve problems. I had worked as an intern, uh, actually for ADL when I did a semester in, in, in Prague. And so I just really loved that sort of, I, you know, I like growth and variety. So I was drawn to that uh, business. It's super competitive. And so they were, you know, I had worked with them uh, abroad. Um, it was fun. And, and I was in the high tech practice. It was right when the internet was starting. Yeah, and we got we, we were in the telecom practice, which sort of inherited the internet stuff. And, you know, you, you parachute in, you learn an industry really quickly, and you try to, you know, figure it out. Yeah. And, 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 and if you look back on that time, was there was there a couple of key lessons that you learned that you apply even to this day, like some of those fundamental lessons in the way you approach business strategy. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, one of the things I learned, I, I, I'll never forget uh, um, a company that we had worked with that just had a market-leading product. It was driven by engineers. It was in the internet bubble, and the guy just wouldn't ever release it. It just was never perfect. Hmm. <laughs> it was the opposite of MVP. And this company like lost nine months and probably could have sold this thing for. You know, we have equity in it as the business, tens of millions of dollars. I, my, I invested in it, but it just never was ready, and he wanted it to be perfect. And I think that's a lesson that that has definitely stayed with me. Action over perfection, right? Get the ball yeah. rolling on things, keep things moving, and following that, you get found it out, it, get feedback. Yeah. You're going to be wrong, so uh, you know, figure Iterate. out how people use it. Yeah, 
I mean, think of even like software on your phone. What are they up to on my iPhone? It's got updated like software version 14.93.19 or like it's it's iterations and, and yeah. you keep you keep you keep moving it forward. And, and following that, you founded several of your own companies like Brandstand, Bobby's Best, Brand Cycle, as well as some other projects. You know, how did how did your time, you know, in, in that consulting world, you know, prepare you to go out on your own? Uh, yeah, so so I had a weird thing where I was very conviction, strong ideas, very strong opinions, but but sort of risk intolerant, and and I reached a point where I helped build this business for two other founders, and and realized I loved the growth and building these businesses, but like I was really like not gonna put myself in a great position just making a career growing other people's businesses, and 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 felt very marginalized in that situation. I was talking to a friend. Uh, who was trying to recruit me out to a company in California and said, if you don't take this job, you're probably going to be unemployable. And he, and he meant that in sort of a, a nice way that he could just see I was getting to the point where like, I just wasn't going to, you know, want to work for, for, for other people. And, and I did sort of reach that point and flipped over. And after, you know, a bunch of failures, you know, helping other people try to grow their businesses saying, I love these high growth businesses, but I'm going to start my own vehicle to, to do that. And actually, when I started Acceleration Partners, I thought it would be a great way to try before I buy, having been burned, and that I would want to jump into one of these businesses. But I realized I liked working with them, not for them. Startups are like very crazy. They don't have great cultures. Like you hear about the winners, but the losers are 90%. Oh, I'll, so, I'll number them completely. So I, uh, yeah, so I just tried to develop a company that was a great place to work, fun, but had worked, again, with those companies, not for them. Well, that's, that's interesting, too. I mean, we're going to dig into this in a little bit, but well, I might as well talk about it now. Um, you know, you focus a lot. We'll talk about the TEDx talk in a little bit. We'll talk about the, the book out there. Why, you know, is, is culture and the way the companies operate from a people, leadership and management perspective, why does it resonate so much with you? Uh, because I, I just realized, you know, one of the things as I was building the company was like I never wanted to build a company that 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 was not I didn't want to go to work to every day that I just had some goal and and willing to get there was not want to be fun so I was like look if I want to wake up and like what I'm doing every day I've got to like the people that I'm doing with we should do what we say we should say what we do and it and it just became like again we always we always talk about like the journey is the destination a little bit you know at our company not like the ends justifies the means um so that was really a very selfish motivation of like I want to build a company. I don't want to deal with all the BS and bullshit and, you know, politics and all this stuff. So we're just going to try to do it, try to do it differently. And look, there's a lot of stuff about culture. I, I To me, cultures are as different as, you know, my daughter, oldest daughter is out touring colleges on, on break this week. Like they have very different value propositions, right? The 40,000 person city school is probably not going to appeal to the 2000 person liberal art, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere school. So I, I think companies really struggle to be like, here is what we value. Here's where we're different. You might like that value proposition or you might not like that value proposition. It's not a good or a bad. It's just a matter of fit. Yeah, it's interesting too. You say that like, you know, I think the struggle with a lot of companies is transitioning the values on paper or what they got, you know, plastered on the wall into action. And I always right. say this culture is not, you know, ping pong tables and cold brew on tap. It's that often hides a bad culture or exactly. keep, tries to keep you in the office all day. Lots long. of snacks and candy, right? Yeah. And well, I do miss that. I wouldn't mind going back to the office for some of those snacks. But you kind of hit the nail on the head. It masks what the, what the real you know, issue, issues are. But I truly believe, and I'd love to get your take on it, it's how someone feels valued within an organization. Do they have a clear career path? Are they getting feedback? Are they getting direction? 
they being mentored in the right way and and i think that's really what the with the with the culture well that's is. personal that's personal development which is part of culture but i think i paraphrase from a gandhi quote i think a great culture is super simple what 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 it believes is what it says is what it does right those things are are, are aligned so because i think that there are some cultures for instance you'll have an ex athlete who's super competitive believes in winning and losing pays 80% of the bonuses to 20% of the people and then they say crap and put it on the wall that like we value teamwork. Right. No, you don't value teamwork. You value winning. But if you said that, there's plenty of people out there who value winning who would say, I want to come work for a company that values winning. I, people are just afraid to be honest, honest and authentic about what yeah. it is that, that they value. So our company is – look, we've won 30 Best Places to Work awards. I will tell you – Based on our, our our recruiting averages, and then we hire about one point five percent of the people. We are we are that place for about one point five percent of the population, not for you know the other nine. And you're clear and about that, and you're upfront yeah. about that. So let's talk about that. You know, and how how is your sourcing, recruiting, and hiring process aligned to those values to really ensure that the folks that are coming in at the top of the funnel are ultimately the right people that get hired? Yeah. So our process is is very thorough. It tries to eliminate a ton of bias. It's based on Jeff Smart work who's the number one guy in the space with top grading and who and, and and we focus first on values and then on aptitude so again this isn't like these are behavioral based interview questions there's probably seven or eight per core value that are asked lots of different ways so for example we have a core value of, of excel and improve we believe in like continuous improvement and people that don't like the status quo want to learn and grow so if i'm interviewing adam like one of the, like adam tell me a book that you've read in the last couple of years or a course you've taken or something you know where you're trying to get better if you're crickets on that you're not our type of person and there's so there's a lot of candidates like that and not only are the questions designed our interviewers are given this is what a one answer sounds like this is what a 10 answer sounds like and so when they sit down at the end of the interview they look at all the data and they don't go you know what i love adam but like, and I liked Adam because he was super personable and persuasive. But like, if I look at the data, it's telling me that Adam's not the right fit for here. The data tells the story. And, and it's interesting, too, because some people are great interviewers. But when the rubber hits uh, the road, they're, they're not performing. Yeah. I, I mean, I know from my past, I was Look, extroverts are, are, are great interviewers. Charismatic people tell you everything you want to hear. I think you, 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 some of your worst hires are probably, you know, extroverted, charismatic oh, people yeah. that were not a fit. And some of the ones you missed were probably... A little more uh, introverted and not as you know, not as you know, stomping their chest about how great they were at things. And yeah, absolutely. And Robert, you hit on you hit on something really important that I think is a major reason why a lot of companies make mistakes and fail in the hiring process is because they're not consistent. They don't have a consistent um, plan. They don't have consistent yeah. questions across all of the interviewers in the process, and they don't have a database scoring system. Because otherwise, well, they also have to find success no up front, right? right? So you should have all the fights and whatever. Be like, what are Adam's top five that in six months I'm going to give him a bonus or tell him that he's no longer working here and, and and get that? People call me all the time. They're like, can I get your opinion? Like what? And they're like, well, we're looking to do a sales and marketing role, and I'm like, oh, well, stop there. Like, is it sales or is it market? Like, this is where this person is going to have a not clear set of objectives when they come in, right? So so first you've got to agree on. The, the outcomes and then based on the outcomes what are the qualities the person has to have and then you interview against them because again when you have this committee approach and you have this numeric approach we, we might all say look we all loved adam adam was awesome but like everyone's things came up with that adam 
does not have attention to detail. And attention to detail was our number one. He yeah, was a little that. late for the meeting. <laughs> he did this. He missed the directions. Like, those, those so are things you need. Am I confusing that I liked him as a person with that he has the qualities to do the job? Yeah, and and that there has to be that that separation there. And was it hard to? Let me ask you this: Was was that the plan from the beginning when you launched Acceleration Partners? When you were talking about your hiring and building as a team, or was that something that um, kind of evolved? It fell into place. Where did you stand on that when you were when you were creating? No, I think that was something that evolved, and we realized we had to do over frustration and mishire. I mean, you learn from your mistakes. Like I, everyone, I say, all of our senior leaders in our organization, they have a name. They have a name of that disaster hire that they hired <laughs> by cutting corners that made them take hiring more seriously. Yeah. And they vowed to never make that mistake again. Yeah. They, they either looked at a resume like just, oh my God, look at the credentials. Or they here. rushed the, the process or they needed hire someone. Fire fire fast, right? Yeah, so yeah. one of the things about the committee approach at the end is that there has someone in there who's not part of the team that needs that hire who can objectively like say, look, guys, you're you're. I know you're desperate for marketing person, but you're this person out. does not is not acceleration partners type person. Consensus is important, and one of my one of my clients does that really well. Where it's not just there is a a key stakeholder, a hiring yeah. manager typically who's responsible, but it's a, it's a consensus, and that helps do a lot of things. It's it's a it's another point of view helps reduce further reduce bias out of it, and someone who's objective, someone who could come into your point. I said, listen, this person's important to me, but you know, I'm not I'm yeah. maybe a step removed on that well, one. Well, it's in, it's interesting that you say that because I actually think in in a lot of areas of business, you can't have consensus, right? You need someone you to just sort of firm. own it. But in hiring, you really should have everyone be like this, Derek Sivers, like this is a hell yeah or no. A lot of people get hired because no one wants to say no. Like in our process ends with like, who is going to are you enthusiastically in support of this candidate? Are they better than 90% of the people? And would you put your like, name on their higher and that changes the standard you know from they just kind of get through because no one objects to someone is willing to put their name behind the candidate i love that i love that the hell yeah or no because that's the way it should be i mean you're welcoming yeah. you're, you're you're bringing somebody into your to your 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 work family into something that you created and you want everyone yeah. to be aligned and not feel that you have to pick up the slack for somebody and we talk about you know we talk about in the tedx you know it's the attrition it's the negative feelings of other employees that they have to pick up the slack like all these factors roll into why it's so critical to make that good hire. It's not yeah. about just that job and that position that that person is filling, but the rest of the team and being mindful that you're helping support them with a quality hire. Yeah, it's interesting. People are always get caught around, you know, $10,000 or $20,000. My, my new thing is like, it's going to be worth all of it or none of it, pretty much, you know, with, with people. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's a clip right there, people. We're going to do that one. So I want to talk for a second about your core values course. And that has a lot to do with finding your purpose and why. And it's interesting. You know, I found it interesting that the course only takes 60 minutes and you say in the description to continue it. Um, tell us about what that course is about, who it's for, and what that helps unlock. Yeah, so so figuring out my personal core values was the transformative moment in my career. I came out of a leadership thing. I was really clear that I had to do it, but but there wasn't a way to do it. So I researched, I looked, I found, I figured it out after 6 to 12 months. I actually found the experience so powerful that we started building a curriculum to teach our new leaders like uh, how they could discover their core values, kind of like what I had fallen into, like turning that into a process. We did it for three or four classes, um, just saw really great results where people were like, oh my God, I never realized this. This clicks for me. This is why I show up this way as a leader. This is why I show up this way as a husband or wife. Like It's all the same 
thing. And I said, wow, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to open this up. So I just, I turned that curriculum into a course so that anyone could take it so that we could have our whole company take it and then also, you know, release it to the public. And I, and I particularly coming out of a pandemic year when I think people, you know, a lot of value oriented things, I, it is the most changing thing I think in your life or as a leader is to be able to you know, look at those four or five things, articulate your values, say, look, I'm going to get out of stuff that doesn't align. I talk about the big three. I think if you don't make decisions in the big three that are aligned with your core value, they they will fail. And that is your chosen work and vocation, where you choose to leave, live in the community, you know, that you get into and your chosen partner, right? Those, I'm not saying this is like a company. It's not about, you don't want people like you or homogeneity otherwise, but this is like, are you aligned on the big things? Like my wife and I are like very different, different hobbies, different things. But mm-hmm. like, if you're not, when the shit hitting the fan, if you're not aligned on the big things, it, it's it's not going to work. I completely agree with that. And, and we'll definitely link up to the court And I also see you reference Jim Collins, and his concepts, he's coined uh, big, hairy, audacious goals, B-H-A-G for short, uh, a lot in your blogs and your posts. What is it about his work or perspectives that, that truly resonates with you? Yeah, I, I think, you know, what's interesting is that a, a BHAG should fulfill a value or else it won't be meaningful to you. So I think there is this alignment. But I think we do need these kind of long-term things that we're going towards to understand how to make better decisions in the short term. But but here's the example I always give like, oh, you want a house on the lake. You know, why do you want a house on the lake? Let's be honest with ourselves. Like, is it because everyone wants a beach or lake house? Is it a demonstration of success is it for you like, or, them? <laughs> or, 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 or is it is it really for your family? Because a lot of people will say it's for their family. And, and in, 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 in the service of getting that big beach house for their family, they get divorced and alienate all their kids and work, you know, 80 hours a week. So <laughs> it's probably not going to make you fulfilled when you get it so there's a great example where like if 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 wanting that place was fulfilled it it was part of your value of family or tied to that then you would never want to sacrifice family to get it if it was really about i've made it then and your ego then you might want to sacrifice all that stuff to do it but you have to be intellectually honest with yourself so i think a lot of us are actually chasing goals that aren't going to make us very happy because that goal should fulfill your value, your purpose somehow, or else it's, or, or else it's probably a goal that you took from external pressure of what other people thought you should do. The common theme here, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, is, is ultimate self-awareness, really knowing, knowing that true self and being able to have the framework to put a mirror up in front of you. So self-awareness and alignment, right? That's the key. So wh- who am I? What do I want? And then how do I align? Like, how do I, you know, this is where the values in the company come into play in the interviewing. Like, I know what I want. I know the type of people that I want. So wh- why am I going to say crap I don't believe? <laughs> and let me, let me find the people self. who want to do the same thing and, as me and say, this is what we're doing. And, and you, have, you have a BHAG of your own. And I believe one of those was to become a best-selling author, which we've done. And let's talk about the product placement. new book, <laughs> yeah. the, the latest book right here. And before I, I ask you about the book, I just want to, once I got this into my hands the other day, and thank you, um, just physically, the first, the first observation I made physically, it was different. I have a lot of books. I interview a lot of authors on this show, and they're either these loosey-goosey kind of paperbacks or these giant hardcover books. I love the size of it. It's manageable. I like a hardcover in my hand here. Yeah. Um, and it has just enough you know, graphics, pictures, different formats of the, of the text here to keep you engaged. 
Talk about the intention of the size and the format of this book for a moment. I'm, I'm yeah, really so interested. Yeah, so it's interesting. My, my, my I had this observation this morning when I was kind of scrolling my, my, through it. it look, there's, this is a new direction, right? When you think about most nonfiction books, people probably have a twenty or 30,000 word idea. They take it to the publisher and they say, this has to be a $30 book. So mm-hmm. double it. And most people tell you they get about, you know, a third of the, the nonfiction books are very repetitive. They make their point early. So, so it's like this artificial kind of marketing, you know, constraints. What Sourcebooks has done is build sort of a, 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 a series called Simple Truths, a leadership series where the books are half the price, half the length. They're designed to, you know, get one a month and, and read it in, in an hour. And it's funny because people always say, I finished your whole book. And I like, I know you're looking for a pat on the back, but it was designed to be read in an hour. So yeah. that's not a, it's not a huge accomplishment. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to scrolling through this one. Um, and it looks like... I used to read a lot more before kids and I've gotten back into reading more now that I, I do the show. And I just love the idea of it being digestible, that I don't have to commit for the next month uh, to read this book, you know, 20 pages a day. Look, and right. Look, look, at, look at the success of Blinkist and all of these like highlighting services that give you the mean points in 10 minutes. Right. I mean, you have pr- probably people reading more of those than they are of the actual 100%. book itself. hundred yeah. percent. Um, books are awesome. Definitely everyone check it out. Let's talk about the TEDx. I mean, the TEDx experience, um, was this always a topic that you wanted to do for your TEDx? Like, or what came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it the topic um, or the or the TEDx? You know, there were a couple things, and it was a chicken and egg. And I had the opportunity, and I I talked to him about a couple ideas, and that was the one that felt really, you know, different and 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 relevant uh, at the time. So I think it just, I actually think it just all came together, time wise. Yeah, and let's unpack this for a little bit. Two weeks notice. And I, I've watched it a couple times. And this is something that really resonates with me, changing the dynamic. And, and, and the example you give right in the upfront about the relationship, would you say to a, a wife, well, maybe in a divorce, but it's like, right, like, hey, honey, I'm giving you two weeks notice on this. Re- no, it yeah, I'm, it's, I'm, it's, mov- I'm moving to a new town with a new boyfriend in two weeks. And you never talked about being unhappy in your marriage. Like, you, 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 you know, you'd be a little surprised, I yeah. think. You know. And, and it's, the, it's the idea. It's changing the whole dynamic of a company recognizing someone's happiness because the grass, I mean, I know from personal experience, I was telling you offline, the grass is not always greener on the other side. And job satisfaction could decline, and that could either be an employee, employee's responsibility, the employer's responsibility. So why not make it more beneficial to everyone involved to, to, to reconfigure well, the yeah. process? I mean, I mean we're, I work- we're, look, we're ignoring reality. So intellectually, we know that there's no more employment for life. There's no more pension. No one's like you know, her to Ford. I mean, my parents right. are New York City Board of Ed teachers. I mean, that's probably one so, of the so only we know professions. This. We, yeah. we know at Google and Facebook and all the best places to work, the tenure is like 1.8 years. So, so we understand the concept that people are not going to work forever. But when we get down to the last mile, we're all pretending, right? So we still have to lie and do doctor's appointments and companies still have to like dodge around and put you on a <laughs> performance improvement plan. Yeah. Right. Put you on a performance improvement plan or whatever versus saying like, I want to do something different or this isn't working. And, and, and there's a lot of cognitive dissonance where once we know it's not going to work out, then we have to make the other person out to be sort of bad rather than say, look, like McKinsey's done this for years. Let, why don't we can have a transition period? Like if you want to do something else rather than as a client service business, surprise us with two weeks notice. If you're lucky these days, maybe five days notice, like yeah. tell us you like before you start looking, tell us you want to leave. We'll, we'll, we'll let you continue to work here for months. You can start your new job. We'll be a reference for you. And like, let's, and you'll become part of our alumni network. And let's sort of like, let's acknowledge that because I don't look, people saw this in the pandemic and the economy's coming back, but you had 10 years where you could just screw the last job, screw the last job, move on, yeah. burn your bridges. Burn your bridges. And, and there were no and, consequences. And 
in a tough job market, like you're going to need people to pull you forward or people that you work forward. And, and when you have a mentor, a boss, and you don't, you told them you're happy, you're happy. And then you, you just leave on five days notice. Kicking they're going to, people are going to find them on LinkedIn. They're going to call them in a couple of years and they're going to be like, you know, I took Johnny under my wing, all this stuff. And he kind of just left me high and dry at the end. Let's, let's pause on that for a second. Because I could tell you firsthand as a recruiter, we back channel. We are very connected. We know a lot it's of people. It's not that hard. Yeah. It's not that hard. It's not Connect that hard a thing, especially yeah. with LinkedIn now. And they, oh, I know them. They worked at that company. Let me reach out to that person. People are not mindful about burning bridges or they don't give a shit. Or like, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's, it, it's a new world that we're living in. It can't be like this, this two years, burn that bridge, jump to the next job. People talk. And there, yeah. we have to change. We have to change the process. Here. You you will have you might have this invisible hand that really is someone you pissed off who's getting back channeled that is haunting you for years to come, and you're just not no idea. You know, not aware of it. No, 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 not else. So, how have you implemented this into your organization? Like straight up, like yeah. So, you, so, like, so how do you communicate? Call it, like, how do you like? How does everyone know that this is part of it? Yeah, we. So, yeah. first of all, we've tried to have a ton of psychological safety check-ins. Otherwise, we've we've, we've said, look, if you want to talk about your career here, no one is going to walk you at the door. No one's going to ask you to leave. Like, you can publicly hold us accountable to that. We've never done it. Like, other people have left through the day's notice, but we've never. Someone said, look, I'm not sure this is the right job right. for me. Like, we've never said, okay, then why don't you leave and whatever. So we've. We've had to create the psychological safety, we've, and we, 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 we have what we call our career transition program, career engagement program, which we called Mindful Transition before, but we just felt like it's a more accurate name. And, and, and it's bilateral. It's, you know, if you think you want to do something different, you know, please, you know, come to us and, and have a discussion, and we'll talk about what that means, and we'll set it up, and we even, like, pay a bonus for extended notice period to make people know Ooh. we're really serious about this. Like, we want you to work here. We want to have good client transitions. Flip side is also true. To, sorry, go ahead. You want a question on no, that? No, I'm, 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 yeah. pra- I'm just praising this because you, you talk. Let's talk about the other quick, really quick elements that it's not just about the employee. It's about the other team members. If you're in a client service situation, um, yeah, there's all these that. factors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. In the ad, when I worked in the ad industry, the last thing a client wants is they have someone on their account that they've been working with that they enjoy. And then, you know, you get an email or a phone call. Hey guys, just want to let you know that now Adam's going to be taking over. Who the right. fuck? Who's no Adam? Like, you know, no, that no. is the number one That's thing that clients thing. hate. In client so there's services. an ROI to that. I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but there is an actual dollar amount to the client, the business, right? Attrition of other employee satisfaction there, and being able to manage expectations right. internally and externally. And so, right. So if Adam's the lead on a thing, we know Adam's leaving three months. Stacy joins the account team. Stacy starts to handle the weekly calls. Like seven weeks later. You know, Adam's already, you know, we, then, and then the client doesn't need to know Adam's leaving until the typical two weeks before Adam leaves. Yeah. Um, I want to backtrack for a moment. And this is my misstep as a podcast host for anybody who's taking notes on how I do my show. I'd love to ask authors, Robert, what was the hardest part of what is the hardest part of the writing process for you? <laughs> hardest part of the writing process writing. <laughs> is actually not the writing process. It's marketing a book. If any got to anyone the marketing of a book is a full-time job. I think they, you know, probably equal or more than the writing. I think for the writing side, for me, as someone who sort of tries to tinker with everything, it's like when to call it done. That's honestly mm-hmm. the... When, 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 Going when back is to what we en- said in the beginning of the show, action yeah. over perfection. When is it good enough? Yeah. And is there that moment? like, Or does it have to be like your publisher? Does it have to be your wife? Or is it internally inside, Robert, where you're like, <laughs> oh, and I am done. That's it. Let's go. Hit print. We're done. Uh, Probably some, there's been different combinations of all of those across the book where it was just like, 
you know, I, Exhaustion. I, I, I you know, I, I, I know that I like to tinker with things. So it's just, you know, if I find myself regressing, right, like edits should kind of go like a funnel, like they should go like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, little, I guess if I see the funnel opening back up, I'll be, I'll be like, look, we, I, this is material I've been over 10 times and, you know, didn't make that change. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's paralysis there on that one. And at this point in your career, Robert, you, you've touched so many different ways, your companies, consultancies, your podcast, newsletters, books, as well as charity. Yeah. What, what have you enjoyed doing the most? And, and, you know, where do you think you've made the greatest impact? Yeah, look, the unifying theme there, which, again, I've done this work on on values and purpose. Like me, my purpose is to share ideas that help people and organizations grow. So if I figure out something that can make something better, like I, I, I get enjoyment out of seeing other people use that and leverage that. So that's 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 what I enjoy. When other companies call and say, look, and I had one this week, we tried this mindful transition thing and it's made a huge difference. And you know that so so you know that that that's that's the unifying theme among all these things where if i can see the impact of of something that you know i tested out and shared with the world and it was able to make something else better yeah that's that's awesome and robert what it, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life uh, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure it's advice or more. I, I think, Mantra kind of mindset. Yeah. So alignment, like I, I, the only organizational principle I've ever believed in is like alignment. You, you set the thing at the top, you set it down. Everyone then is working on stuff that all rolls up. So like my daily process is realignment. Like I sat down this morning, I built this thing called whole life dashboard. I looked at my quarterly goals. I looked at my year goals. I looked at my values for five minutes. And I'm like, what, what can I do this week? What can I do today? you know, that pushes me in that direction. So that constant realigning is why, like, I seem to get a lot done, but it's because I'm making sure that I'm getting the right things done and I'm prioritizing those over things that are not as important to me. Um, that's that's powerful. And we've all been through a lot in the last 14 months, but there's been good that has come out of it. And we call those silver linings. So I'd love if you could share with us a professional silver lining and a personal silver lining that you've experienced during the pandemic. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I was traveling a, a ton before the pandemic, and I think it was having a huge impact on my health. And 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 so I, you know, I think even for a firm that was virtual, realizing like, do I need to travel that much? I was doing a lot of speaking. A lot of that is virtual now. It's better for me. It's better for the company. So I'm I'm not going back to uh, I'm not going back to uh, how that was. Like I think that's been. Uh, thing and then two, I like I I think the pandemic has tested a lot of our assumptions. Like, can we do something this way? Does it have to be done this way? Like, it, it it's it's pushed a lot of things forward that were already moving in that direction and forced people to kind of jump in and embrace it. So similar, I think there are a lot of things in our business where like we're not going to go back to how we did that before. Like we've learned uh, something from this, and 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 also just I think understanding the true value of human connection, which we're all missing now, and that it's. Zoom is nice and it's great to see your friends thing on Facebook, but it's not, it's not the same. Oh, we, we, we miss it. Um, and last but not least, you've had an incredible career, inspiring. You've made a difference in people's lives. You've had to have that focal point that you need to look at, whether to pull yourself up when you're down. And in those moments when you have to harness that tenacity to drive you forward. And on the flip side of that, Robert, when you want to show gratitude and you're thankful for your life, your family that you built, your success. Robert Glazer, what is your North Star? Hmm. I, I mean, my North Star for me, again, I think comes back to just my values and, and, and priorities. And I think 
when I, it, it, it's collective, not singular, when I am really stressed, when I'm overworked, I mean, that is what I do. I go look at like, all right, well, <laughs> what do I not need to be doing? What doesn't matter? You know, where am I getting distracted? Um, and, and, and I think that's a constant, you know, process that, that, that we have to come back to and make sure that, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm making an impact, but I'm also, you know, taking the time to enjoy and live in the present and, and enjoy the impact that I've already made. Um, because I think that's a, it, it's very easy when you get into the higher achiever world of just move the mark. Like every time you hit, every time you hit a finish line, just push to the next one. And so I've been really conscious to try to, particularly in the last year to, to, to make sure that you get through a finish line and you, you celebrate that for, for a little bit. Awesome. Love it. Robert, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I want everyone to go check out Elevate. And uh, where's the best place they could find this book? Uh, yeah, they can find uh, my Friday Forward, Elevate, the course. Uh, it's all at Robert Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R.com. Awesome. Good stuff. Thank you for spending time with us. I really appreciate your wisdom. Uh, your, your take on culture is just phenomenal. And I think every organization really needs to listen to it, uh, embrace it, and find elements that they can incorporate immediately to really truly make a difference. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today on the podcast. If you like this episode, please leave a review or rating. It goes a long way. You know where to find us all at thepodcast.com. Remember, take care of each other, stay six feet apart, and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepodcast.com.